As I was getting ready and walking in this morning, a couple of the members of the choir said, why didn't you preach this sermon several years ago? I've been trying to figure out how to be rich for a long time. And uh, all I can say is I, this is a, a sermon title that is sure to disappoint, uh, but it is one that I think we need to <laughs> embrace and think about and Allow God to work in us nonetheless. We'll get to the First Timothy scripture in just a few minutes, but we're going to sit with Lazarus and the rich man first. But before we do, let me ask you a question. Do you have certain people in your life that you talk about certain things with them? I think about my friends, and I have friends that I talk about work with. I have cycling friends that I don't really talk much about anything in particular with, except we do it while we ride bikes. If I'm at an event with my kids' school, we talk about school things with the kids. If I'm talking to some of my colleagues from when I was in school, we talk about the good old days. As I think about it, I've got car guy friends, I've got work friends, I've got bike buddies, I've got family, I've got school friends, and, and, and you've got all the same. You've got different people you talk to about different things, and that's part of the nature of life. What about Jesus? What do we think about when we talk about Jesus? What do we think about when we talk to Jesus? Or what do we think about Jesus talking about? Maybe that's the question. Given what we typically say about Jesus, one might think that Jesus was on one three-year-long ministry journey that mirrored a Billy Graham crusade for Israel. That he went from village to village preaching salvation and getting people to walk the aisle and get baptized so they could join the local synagogue. That's what we might think Jesus talks about, or we assume that he talks about. But, but unfortunately, maybe, Jesus actually spends a lot of time talking about money and wealth and how we're supposed to deal with it and what we're supposed to do with it. We often want Jesus to be the ancient Near Eastern version of R.E.M.'s song, Shiny Happy People Everywhere. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus pushes us, challenges us, challenges us, and shows us that the pursuit of so much of what else matters in the world doesn't matter. Which is why he reminds us that to be beholden to money or to be beholden to the management of finances or to be pursuant of the accumulation of wealth is the wrong thing. And, and he doesn't just do it in the rich man and Lazarus. But, but last week's parable about the dishonest manager was about money. The chapter before that, the prodigal son was about money. In chapter 14, he talks about a great banquet dinner, which was about rich and poor people. He laments Jerusalem and, and offers a parable about a narrow door that has something to do with money. 
In Luke 12, he has a parable of the rich fool that reminds us not to worry, but to consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air who neither toil nor spin nor make any money, but are clothed in splendor. If you turn to the next few chapters, you'll see that Jesus talks about tax collectors. He gives us the story of the rich young ruler. He goes to eat with Zacchaeus. And then there's the parable of the talents, all of which have some wealth component to them. In the eight chapters that make up this huge section of of, of Jesus' teaching ministry in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about money and wealth and radical generosity more times than any of us care to admit. It's almost as if Jesus walked in, we would be like, I don't want to talk to him about money again, because it's all he seems to talk about. I do have a friend that all he does is talk about money and debt, too. But we have to ask ourselves then, if that's what Jesus talks about, why? Why? Why, why? why does Jesus need us to talk about this, to think about this? Why is this what's remembered? And the answer is that if, if we're not handling our wealth right, if we're not handling what Jesus has given us without radical generosity, well then of course we end up being a whole lot more like the rich man in the parable than Lazarus in the parable. We can't live our lives in service to the acquisition of wealth and end up where Lazarus did. And we have to ask ourselves again and again and again, do we want to test God on that or not? The parable of the rich man and Lazarus is challenging for us. Maybe it's challenging because we hear the anthem like that and it's so upbeat that in some ways it it covers up the ominous nature of the passage. It's challenging for us also though because honestly we, none of us really think of ourselves as all that rich. Right? I mean, we know we're not poor, but we also know, like, we're not. We're not the 1%. Most of us have cars that are not considered luxurious. Our, our boats are not yachts, and our homes are not mansions. Yet, by virtue of all that we have, by virtue of what our zip code and area code are, the reality is we probably are quite rich. No matter how many student loans we're trying to pay off, which credit cards we'd like to get rid of, and and, and how many mortgage payments remain, simply having access to a mortgage or a viable place to live makes us rich beyond much of the rest of the world around us. Which means we must take care, because we could be a whole lot more like the rich man than Lazarus in that passage. We will be tempted to forget to witness Jesus in the world. We will be tempted to think that we can get to faith sometime down the road. And and we'll be tempted to be more like that rich man. Which is one of the reasons why Jesus keeps talking about it. 
Now, before we all beat ourselves up over Scripture, we take a breath because we are trying to do something different, aren't we? Like, we are here today. And let me assure you, I believe that does count for something. We're trying to do it differently. We're trying to make change. We're, we're trying to attend to our faith in ways that I don't think the rich man ever did. So by worshiping regularly, attending to Jesus daily, by trying to connect to our faith and, and put it to work in the world, yes, I, I think there is a relative assurance that we're not just straight up being that rich man from the parable. And ultimately that leads us to kind of the way off the hook that the rich man missed is that we're not so controlled by our financial, financial pursuits and our experience of luxury that we can't be generous with God and we can't be attentive to our faith. Because I think it's possible that we can be faithful with all we have. It starts with acknowledging that we do have so much. I think the rich man of Lazarus just reminds us not to be stingy, not to be trapped by the pursuit of wealth. It's a, it's a warning. It's a parable. And it's a reminder that it's time for us to pay attention to Jesus and the nature of our faith and, and to, to sacrifice on earth so that we can begin to approach what experiencing everlasting life with Jesus is. And, and so we act different than that rich man. And we start by acting different now because, well, because for him it was too late. And the nature of time reminds us that there is a time when it could be too late. So how do we get ourselves to a place where we identify with Lazarus in the end and not the rich man? Maybe we turn to Paul for a little more of a reminder and a little bit more of an instruction. Our reading from the, the letter to 1 Timothy is from chapter 6. We'll share in verses 6 through 19. Of course, there's great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and for which you have been made. For which you, have, for which you made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, Make good confession, I charge you to keep the command without spot or blame 
until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he is about to bring at the right time. He who is so blessed and only sovereign, he who is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, thus storing for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of life that it really is life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul's kind of on a roll in first and second Timothy, but especially here in this part of first Timothy. We could say he's teaching or instructing, but he's almost just proclaiming and commanding what it is that Timothy should do, how it is that Timothy should teach. And, and in many ways, I think he fleshes out how it is we can align ourselves with Jesus in relation to that rich man and Lazarus passage. I think he says more specifically a lot of the things that Jesus would have been trying to convey in a, a parable sort of way. Paul knows the stories and and the instructions, and he's passing them on to Timothy quite directly. He starts out by going right at riches, saying things that, that we are accustomed to Paul saying. Money is the root of, of all evil. All dangerous money can corrupt. There's, there's nothing new here, except, of course, it's striking again that we have another passage about money. In verses 11 through 16, Paul transitions a little bit from that taking on money And he writes about what it means to be a faithful witness and to believe and to confess and how it is we are to live in the faith. And and he reminds us to pursue righteousness and godliness, faith and love and endurance, gentleness, to fight the good fight of faith, to take hold of eternal life and to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of Christ Jesus. These are the things I think that we're pursuing when we gather. Right? For Paul, the, the words, these words reflect that guiding star that we're chasing after, that we, we're, we're setting our eyes on, which is that we are continually pursuing a life of love that finds its end in the eternal life of Jesus. And that relates to the rich man and Lazarus, because Lazarus sat there with only a hope in Jesus and the rich man found his hope in everything else but and then we turn to those last few verses of First Timothy probably the ones that are, are most helpful for us the, the instructions for how it is we are to be 
as people who are rich. We're not to be haughty or to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We're to be good and rich in good works, generous and ready to share. And in doing all of that, we store up for ourselves a good foundation for the future. So that we might take hold of the life that really is life. That's who we want to be, isn't it? That's how we get to who it is we want to be. And that's how we remind ourselves to not be bound by the treasures we find in this earth. That is how we reveal to ourselves a life that is really life and not a life that is tied to a bank account or a balance of some kind. That is how we manage to not fear being radically generous. That is how we are faithful to God with what we've been given. And that is how we live with a spirit of generosity that no one can doubt. And, and, and when we do that, we don't ignore Lazarus at our gates. We won't ignore Lazarus at our gates like the rich man did. Lazarus was at his gate and he missed him. We, we don't want to be that. I don't think we are that. But we definitely don't want to be that. We want to live in such a way that allows us to use the gifts, the material gifts that God has given us in fruitful ways that allow us to not be entrapped and to experience the life that really is life. I want to close with two seemingly disconnected quotes or half-stories. The first is for reasons I'm not going to go into. There's an episode of VeggieTales that I have completely right here in my head. It's the one called King George and the Ducky. And if you're young enough, you might have seen it. But, but King George is a retelling through vegetable cartoons of the story of David and Bathsheba. King George doesn't want Bathsheba. He wants a rubber ducky that he can see from his castle. So he sends out his spies to go get the ducky. And he steals the ducky. And when he gets the ducky, after his reconnaissance team comes back and he has the ducky, he exclaims, Oh, now, now, now I'm happy. Which in cartoon time lasts like a minute and 30 seconds. Because getting the ducky wasn't going to make him happy. The other quote is from a devotional book I've quoted often. It's by Josh Dubois, and he writes a devotional about the rich man and Lazarus. It's titled Situational Obedience. He writes, so often we think that if God does one more miracle, answers one more request, then we'll trust him and obey. But it doesn't work that way. The rich man wishes it did. 
Instead, he closes with this. We must avoid making our obedience situational, dependent on some miraculous sign of God. Either we belong to him and we follow his instructions or we don't. But let's not make God prove his worth. I bring these two stories together today because because the call of God, the instruction of Jesus, the direction of Paul is one towards faithfulness. Ongoing, regular, daily faithfulness. On a road that leads to life. And the road that leads to life is not dependent on some miraculous detour or shortcut that gets you there faster. The road that leads to life doesn't happen when the right person or the right instance or the right miracle shows up. The road that leads to life is the one when the people of Jesus embody radical generosity out of love and faithfulness to God in part, in large part, because of all that God has already done for us. When we do that, our story ends like Lazarus's does. We don't need to send Lazarus to anybody. We don't need a drop of water to cool our mouths. We don't need a second chance. And we don't need to doubt if we're going to end up like the rich man. Because when we embody faithfulness, in every situation instead of just situations. God will be at work through us and with us in all times and for all times. And so, to the members of the choir who wished I had preached the sermon years ago, I have to confess, I I guess I got the title wrong. It's not a title about how to get rich. It's a title about how to live as people who are rich. And, and when we live and move and have our being acknowledging that we are more rich than any society has ever known, we then can realize that we can be more faithful and generous than any society the world has ever known. And we know that that's a high call. It's it's one that will not be easy, but it is one that is a way to live that leads to real life. And so I pray today that we will be open with all that God has given us so that we might be faithful, not ignoring the Lazaruses who are at our door. And in doing that, we will experience the power of God's love, not just miraculously someday, down the line, but today, as we take hold of a life that leads to real life. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. Lord, we give you thanks for these parables and these instructions. Because even though they may be hard, we sense that in in the difficulty, but also in the living out of your call, we find a life that leads to real life.
And so, Lord, as your people who want to take and experience real life today, eternal life today, experience your love at work through us today, help us to be generous. Help us to be kind and and not haughty. Help us to live and move and have our being in ways that invite others to you, that invite you into us, and that reflect your love on earth as it is in heaven. This, O Lord, is our prayer for this day, and it's a prayer that we offer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.